to episode five of All Out, and there's a lot to get out this week in an emotional interview with ex-England captain Adam Hollyoak. What a life he's had. Born in Australia, he travelled the world with his parents before ending up in England, where he captained Surrey and the national side with great success, and this was while many still regarded him as simply an Aussie wearing an England shirt. Never want to shy away from confrontation. It's probably not that surprising that after cricket he became a professional boxer and a mixed martial artist. Can't think of too many others that have done that. His life, though, has also been swamped by tragedy. His younger brother Ben, another incredibly talented England player, died in a car crash in 2002 at the age of just 24. It's an event that in many ways has shaped Adam's life since then, and it was incredibly brave and honest of him to open up on how difficult it is to deal with grief and how it's still very much an ongoing process. What's it like for you at the moment then? You, you live in uh, Queensland in, on the Gold Coast. You were born in Australia, but you're an ex-England cricket captain. So what are you treated like over there? Are you like one of the locals or are you still very much a POM? Well, um, well, no, I'll put it this way. I don't think there's anything more unpopular in Australia than uh, a, a pommy cricketer, as they like to call them over here. Um, I think the only thing more unpopular than a pommy cricketer is someone who was originally born here and then went to go and play <laughs> for the pommy. So um, I'm, not, I'm not the flavour of the month um, pretty much wherever I go. I know my role. I know I've got to, I'm going to take flack any time we're at a dinner. It's like... I'm regularly touted as the most unpopular man in the room. So, um, but you, you grow to get used to it. I've got pretty thick skin. You're a punch bag, basically. <laughs> yes, exactly. Good. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you remember when you first started dreaming of being England cricket captain? Then, um, I, I don't think I ever dreamed of being the England cricket captain. Um, I, I dreamed of being an international sportsman, um, but I didn't really know. It was it was more of a it was more of a wish, rather, more of a I don't want to have to get a real job, rather, <laughs> rather than some prophetic like I'm going to do this and I was born to. I'm so good at cricket, so therefore I'm going to try and make a go at it. It was just I just love playing sport, and so did my brother. And whether that be rugby. Um, athletics, hockey, rugby sevens. We made up a few of our own games, I'm sure. Cricket was in just one of the games amongst it. Um, but I just always wanted to play sport. So um, people used to say to me, oh, you can't play sport all your life and you're going to have to get a job. And I said, just say, that'd be ridiculous. I'm just going to I had no idea. I didn't actually have anything to base that on. I didn't understand that you needed money to live at the age of 13 or 14. So, And it was only when I was about 16, um, Ian Gregg, who was the captain of Surrey at the time, came down and he said, oh, I wanted to I want to come down and, and speak to you. So I, I didn't, firstly, I didn't know who Ian Gregg was. And secondly, um, I don't know why he wanted to speak to me. So the next minute he came down and offered, he said, we'd like to offer you a contract. And I was like, What's a contract? <laughs> I was at school when I was sixteen, you know. So, uh, and they basically want to give you money to play cricket. I was like, "How much?" And it was like three thousand pounds for the season or something like that. And I was like, "Well, that's a lot better than five pounds a week pocket money that I'm getting at the moment." So, um, 
And that's kind of how I, that was the first time I actually realised, I think, that, um, that, hey, this might be something that I want to do. I, I don't know if, I don't, I, at that stage, I definitely wasn't thinking of England or, um, it's kind of like I'd always said, I just want to be the best in the world. And people would be like, at what? And I'd be like, I don't know, just whatever I want to do. And then um, I just had no idea how I was going to get there. I think it was probably just the ego talking, but um, yeah, that's kind of, it's a weird, when I look back, people, you know, a lot of people say, oh, did you know you? I'm like, not really. Just, just kind of fell into it. And then once, I think once I became a professional, that gave me, that was the first time in my life I became focused. I was like, I really want to, I really want to be good at this. Um, not because I love it, just because I didn't have anything else to do. <laughs> I didn't have anything else to do, and I just thought, I've got to put all my efforts into being as good as this as I can. And, um, and that's what I did. And then that just led to England, and captaincy was something which I never aspired to. I never really um, had dreams of being a captain. I didn't really value, never valued the job. Um, but I just, I just did it. I just fell into it. The first time I ever captained a team, ever, in anything, was the Surrey first team. I'd never captained the side. When they came to me, really? they said they wanted me. Yeah. When they came, Graham Clinton came and said, we want, I thought there was someone standing behind me. So, um, I was just, I was a pretty um, wild teenager. And I probably, you know, got into more fights and um, than I had captain games of sport. So it was just I was just never captaincy material. I was always that just that problem child. That's crazy, isn't it? Because when you mm. think about it, you know, you you had an amazing career as a captain. You won nine trophies at Surrey. You, you captained mm. England ODI side. You won the Champions Trophy in Sharjah in '97. Yeah, and yet you came into it very late. So, do you think yeah. that leadership actually came quite naturally to you then? I think it, I would say yes, but for reasons which I think people would be pretty surprised about. Um, I just didn't value it. I just didn't ever. So I didn't care. I didn't really. Um, I think a lot of people become captains and then they get this power that, and they want to exert it and they want to stamp their authority and let everyone know that they're captain. Um, but I, don't, I, don't, I never really wanted to do that. I was just like, I always led the, the team, although the outside perception of the team, of me and my captaincy from outside the team, I know was that people thought I was like a really um, loud and disciplined like captain who'd be like just pulling everyone into line and disciplining them. But I really wasn't like that, I don't think. I, maybe if you ask the players, they might say I was, but um, I tended to lead the side by a little bit more by, like as a democracy. I'd say, oh, hey, what do we, I mean, hey, in my team, we had Alex Stewart, Graham Thorpe, um, every other player had played international cricket at that stage, apart from me. So I'm the one guy who hasn't played international cricket. I'm the captain of these guys. How am I going to walk into that changing room and tell them how we're going to do it? And I know best and you just follow my lead. I'm, I'm the leader around here. It's just, 
you're gonna make a fool of yourself. So um, I actually made no, I don't even try and hide it and say, I said, listen, if, this, if we're gonna make a go of this, you guys have actually all had a go at captaining and you didn't like it or you didn't do any good at it. So I'm about the last throw of the dice, and I was, and so I just said, we're gonna do it, you guys are gonna have to help me out. So, um, and they did. Um, and then I think my leadership style was just um, honest. I just always just wanted what's best for the team. I was pretty, um, I think I'm fortunate. I think maybe this could be called natural leadership. And then if I, if I think something's wrong, I'll just say it. But by the same token, if something's right, I'll just say it. So I pretty much speak my mind. And I think it helps. And I, I'm not trying to sound like I'm a legend there. I think that becomes a lot easier when you don't have the fear of losing that job. So, um, yeah, so like I was never trying to keep the job. I was just doing it. And if that meant me, if that meant me saying something or having a go at someone, and I wasn't worried about the repercussions. Yeah. So do you think people skills and relatability are two of the most underrated things you can have as a captain? I think so. I mean, there's there's quite a few aspects of captaincy. I mean, I think the one that, that people get caught up on is um, is the tactics. Um, everyone said, "Oh, he's a great captain. He made a great tactical decision." I said, "I'm like, well, if we, if you and I went out and captained the game of a one day international tomorrow, we'd probably start with the same field because that's game. We always just start with the same field, and then sometimes the game just dictates itself." The bowlers know when they're bowling, they know what time they come on. And so there might be two or three decisions which we might have to make. And they, I mean, do they decide the game? Not really. Sometimes, you know, like I'd say of the 200 or 300 games of cricket I captained in my life, it's probably five to 10 games where I said my tactics or something particular decision that I made that was left field that no one else would have thought of, maybe that won us the game. At most, at the best, I would, 10 would be probably flattering to myself. So I think the rest of the time it's just having the respect of your team, living your life by values where um, your team will follow you. Like I, don't, I don't have any doubt that Shane Warne was probably one of the greatest tactical captains there was. I saw him captain Australia in a series where Steve Wall captained for the first half and Shane Wall captained the second half and there was a visible difference in tactics and awareness of the game, I thought. Could in Shane Warner captain? Pardon? In what way? I just felt that he had a more of a natural feel for the flow and the tactics of the game. And I mean, we're not talking massive things, just little decisions. I thought, wow, that was, that was really good. Okay, I didn't like it because it was against us, but you can appreciate, you know, good tactics for, from an opposition, and and I felt that he he might might have been a slightly better tactical captain than Steve War. Could he have captained for that period of time? Would he have maintained the respect of the side? Would he have kept that unit together? Would he have been able to inspire the team like Steve War? I doubt it. He would have. He would have. His personality would have clashed with people, would have had caused fractions in the team, and over a long period of time, I dare say he probably wouldn't have been as successful as Steve Waugh. 
as a one-off game, if I had to choose someone, you know, you know, Shane Warne might be that guy that I, I would choose. So it's, it's different to say choose one guy to captain a game for one game just purely for tactics. I reckon 99 times out of 100 it wouldn't matter because the game captains itself half the time. Um, but if I had to choose someone to be captain for a 10-year period, then that might be a completely different captain or leader. I want to talk to you also about you know the, the trauma that you've suffered in your life and the grief that you've had to deal with because you've, you've had your fair share to be fair um, in 2002 your brother Ben at the age of 24 died in a car crash um, it's still something you speak about a lot on social media I was on your Facebook page the other day actually and, and you brought it up because I think it was the anniversary of it have I not unfriended you yet <laughs> no no thank God Keep me in there. <laughs> um, how difficult was that to deal with at the time? And does the process of grieving change as time goes on or not? Um, mate, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure what people's perception of me is, but I have a feeling people would say that I'm a strong, um, masculine, alpha male. Um, the guy who's captained England and fought in cages and had professional boxing fights. Um, I've stood up for, against every bully that I've ever come up across. Um, so from that perspective, I think I don't think you'll find a more um, perce perceived tough guy. Um, but grief and loss, I, I believe, can bring Hercules to his knees. Um, it's pain that um, I wouldn't wish on, on my worst enemy. Um, and when someone, something or someone is as dear to you as my brother was to me, then, um, you know, they were without doubt the, um, the hardest times in my life. Uh, I mean, I've, and, and your point that you make about does it change? Hell yes, so much. Um, at that stage, I'd, I'd only, oh, I had already lost Graham Kersey, who was my close friend in, in 1996. Um, so I'd had sort of, had already experienced some loss. So um, that gave me a bit of a head start. Um, but um, it's, at first, I just think just the, that just sinking feeling of grief is, just trying to cope with it. I mean, I know I've read so much about it as well. I mean, I had to learn about it because I just couldn't cope. Um, so I had to go and try and get knowledge on the topic and just, I could feel that something was going on with my body. I just, I mean, I just felt weak. Um, and I learned about, you know, like the toxins going into your body. There's, um, you know, just, um, there's, um, physically as well. Yeah, physically, I could feel. I just felt terrible. Um, you know, that's. I mean, I'm sure you hear people saying, oh, "I felt sick in my stomach," and it's like I just felt, um, just, just felt, just terrible. Um, every day I'd wake up, and then there was that moment of, oh, and that sinking. I was reliving it every day. Like, it's true. He's and you wake up thinking, "No, was it a dream?" No, it's true. And that went on for a period of time. Um, probably the first few months 
the only thing I could focus on was his accident. Um, so, and that's all I could just kept reliving the accident. His, he died in a car crash for those people who aren't aware. Um, so I could just, I could relive, that's all I could do was just run that moment over. And then, then irrational thoughts, like if I had done something different, he wouldn't have been in the car and all these wasted thoughts, um, blaming myself. Um, so there's a lot of places that your mind goes. You're just not in control of your mind. It's racing, it's, it's under stress and it's trying to solve the problem. So I think the first time I started to make some leeway was probably after about three to six months when I actually started to stop my mind racing and I was like, okay, um, why am I focused? When I only started asking myself questions, why am I um, thinking like this? This just doesn't make sense. It's not good thinking. Like, it wasn't my fault that he crashed the car out. Um, it wasn't my fault we ate at that particular restaurant and if we'd gone to another restaurant, he wouldn't have, you know, all those thoughts that you, you go through, it's just wasted energy and wasted thought. And it's not giving you any peace of mind. So it was, I think it was after about six months, I said to myself, well, um, he lived for 24 years. Why am I focusing on the last five minutes of his life? Why is that in spotlights and the other stuff which he did? Why is that um, in the background? So I started trying to bring that to the forefront and try to start focusing on the good times we had together. And I'd say it was then it started to become 50-50. You know, half the time I'd go back to, oh, I've lost him and I miss him. And, and then half the time I could smile. At, and then that started changing. I started, that bubble started becoming bigger. And, and then just recently I've just started thinking, you know, life's, life's about, it's a cycle and it's a beautiful thing. Like we all born, we all die, we all become the grass. It's like, it's, and it's a beautiful thing. And, and when someone goes, um, I've still got the opportunity to, to live. It's like, you don't just give up, um, which is certainly something which at times I've, I've felt like doing. I was looking at some of the things you've been writing recently on your Facebook page. And you said just a few days ago, Everyone who has lost someone owes it to them to live as greatly and energetically as you can. So that suggests that you've maybe turned a corner with the way that you're approaching dealing with it at the moment. Yeah, um, like I said before, like when you asked me at the beginning, you talked about have I gone through different phases. And that, that, that one was only, um, that would have been two months ago, that, um, because that would have been the anniversary of my brother's death. Um, so um, I remember writing that. It was just, I had a, like an epiphany in those days leading up to that, and I was just like, I think if you also read that article, I don't know if you've read it, you probably fell asleep halfway through. Um, <laughs> it's um, I likened it to being in a game and going, you know, if you do football and you go, something bad happens, you go two 0 down and you just give up. Or if you're batting, if you're playing the game and one of your batsmen ahead of you gets out, you don't just give up. You've got to keep going. So, um, you know, when my brother died, there's been periods in my life where I've just been defeated and I've just felt like giving up. And but you owe it to that person to, to keep fighting, to keep living and being great because I don't believe they want you to just give up and, and be not as great as you can be. So uh, I think that's the greatest respect you can pay to 
to people who um, unfortunately pass on. So um, I think that too many of us punish ourselves for, um, I don't know if it's guilt or I don't really, I don't, I don't really care, um, but, um, but we just don't strive and enjoy life as much as we should when people pass on because I think we're focusing on what we've lost rather than on, we're still in the game, we still, we can still make a difference here, I can do great things still, um, I can help people in life, I can, I can do stuff, you know, I don't, if I just give up because I've had some hard times, it's, it's not good attitude, but people forgive it because it's death and it's awkward to say, my dad a couple of times has pulled me up on it. My dad's a pretty like a hard old man, and he's like, "Stop being a soft cock and get on with it." And you got to, you got to, um, you got to be as, you got to just be the best version of yourself. Don't let, don't let this tragedy destroy both of you. So, so what um, times in the past when, when you you kind of did give up then because you you spoke before about you know living within yourself. Uh, and using Ben's death as a bit of an excuse to do that. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think I've definitely gone through periods where I've underachieved, where I'm like, ah, just not out there having a crack and giving it my best and living life as um, energetically as I can. So, um, 100%. Um, I, I look, the way I came back after my brother's death was. I think you have a look at my record, it's amazing. But I know mentally I was, the only reason it was good was because I had no fear of failure because I was just going out there playing with reckless abandon. Um, I mean, that's there's, there's elements of it that you can take because we're trying to always get rid of the fear of failure, but I think the best thing to get rid of fear of failure is have something that's far greater than the thing you're scared of. If you're scared of heights, Go jump out of a plane a few times and soon get over that. You know what I mean? You'd be like, I'm not scared of standing on that belt. I've just jumped out of a plane. So um, when you've lost someone, the fear of getting out in a game of cricket all of a sudden doesn't have the same doesn't have the same hold over you. So um, yeah. What about social media? Because we've mentioned your posts already a couple of times in this chat. Uh, can social media be a positive thing for helping people deal with grief? We talk about the negative side of social media, but I, I don't know, I, I'm not sure how many of my posts you're unfortunate to see, but I do try and... It's quite long, mate. I, I dip in and out. I do the odd one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do when I write one. I don't... I don't I, you probably won't see me taking a selfie of my food and saying, should I or shouldn't I? I mean, like, I'm like, I don't... <laughs> I don't I yeah, I try, or, you know, I don't, you know, I tend to, if I write something, try and make it much to the disgust of my teenage children, by the way. Um, I I try and write something which I feel might, people might be able to help help them. I mean, these people can go and get self-help books. They don't have to read my nonsense. But for some reason, I think that maybe something I'm writing can, can help people. So, um that's what I use it for. Everyone's got social media for their own purpose. Some people are advertising businesses. Some people are um, out there promoting themselves. Uh, whatever it is, yours. I'm not here to criticise. It's just, it's just. I just use it to try and um, 
bring some happiness or maybe some answers to some people's lives. Well, I think they're great, mate, and they're always heartfelt, so uh, keep putting them out there, those important messages, I say. That's free, too. Free. It's free, exactly. <laughs> Get you some more followers. Yeah. Um, I, want, I want to talk about your life after cricket as well, because that's, that's been pretty colourful as well. Um, you went into combat sports. You were a professional boxer and a mixed martial artist. Was that just because you were an aggressive bastard and you had to get some of that energy out? Um, no, it kind of was a culmination of things. I've always loved boxing. I've liked boxing since I was a young age and, and done wrestling and all, all different aspects of, of fighting. I, I love competing whether that be table tennis or anything, whatever it might be, I, I've always um, just loved competing. If we, we play a game of cards, I'll be trying to beat you, I'll be trying to cheat. Um, so, um, and fighting is kind of the ultimate competing in some ways. Uh, and people just think it's just a fight and it's just, you know, angry and just trying to hurt people. It's, it's actually just execution of skills. Um, just with a consequence, I guess, of pain. So the consequence of a game of lawn bowls is you lose and you've got to buy the rounds of beers. But with fighting, there's, you know, there's real consequences, you know, pain. and You've got to show bravery. Um, you've got to show character. So it's just something that's always appealed to me. Uh, I, don't, I don't like to view it as violence. Um, I know some people just, they do, and the, the, maybe the untrained um, do that. But um, I just... I don't deem it anything else as the execution of skills with a consequence of pain at all. So, um, do you have um, to quite enjoy pain then to, to do it? I don't know if you enjoy it, but I think you've just got to be you've got to be resilient to it. You've got to be able to um, look past it or want to. Your desire to win has got to be greater than your. Ability than your thresh, your pain threshold. So um, that's, um, I guess, that's the analogy there. Really, did you always have an aggressive streak then? Because you, we mentioned earlier, you, you talked about you had more fights than you'd captain games when you got offered the Surrey captaincy. Yeah, oh, definitely. I've been. Um, I could be accused of. I mean, I'm not like that now, and I haven't been like that for a long time, but when I was young, I, I could definitely say that I was um, someone that resolved a lot of problems with with violence. Um, I'm not proud, I'm not saying that with any pride whatsoever. I'm actually, when I look back, I'm embarrassed by um, the way I behave at times, but we're young as well, so other people do other things, you know, they, we've all got our faults, you know, like... Um, and I was no young, no different when I was younger. I was just, um, I did solve some of my problems by, by that, by doing that. And there's a lot of guys I never um, had weapons or I never went out just looking to start fights. But I did a lot of the problems I had was when I was trying to stand up for friends. When I felt my friends were being dealt with unfairly, or if they were in trouble, then I was always step in and try and get involved when probably greater wisdom would be to avoid it or um, these days I've just got a radar for, for, for trouble. If I see there's going to be trouble, I'm out of there. It's just I just don't want anything to do with it. Um, it's just I guess there's got to be some advantages to getting older. Can't we just about start to look like 
Shit. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, you look great at the moment. I know what you're talking about. Your arms at the moment are the size of tree trunks. <laughs> so is my stomach. I'm just hiding on the table. <laughs> um, there's a story I want to ask you about, actually, related to boxing, which uh, I can't remember where I heard it, but it involves you and Alex Tudor. And I just oh. want you to verify it if possible. Is it true that you and him were playing in the game for Surrey, I think, and then during the game, you decided to go and spar with him, to, to box? And there were some interesting consequences. It's, a, it's actually a long story. It's a, I'll, I'll try and keep it brief, but the story started a few years earlier when I took him down to one of my boxing gyms. Him and my brother, we went down to Tooting, a, a boxing gym in Tooting Beck. And they didn't have mouth guards. So um, we started, to, I had my friend who was a professional boxer and he was getting us to do stuff. I had a mouth guard. So they said, okay, you can hit him in the head. I said, they could hit me in the head, but I was only allowed to hit them to the body. So both of them, who just weren't that keen on being punched at all, just stood there with really high guards and protected themselves and, and then let me throw the first punch. And then in that particular session, Tude's probably got the better of me. I mean, which I guess is kind of makes sense when he's six foot six, like got arms as long as... And um, I wasn't allowed to punch him in the face, which is kind of the object of fighting. So, um, um, so he kept reminding me about it every day for maybe a year. And we had a rain break in a game, a first class game of cricket, we had a rain break. And it was like, we weren't playing. It was just rain, just no chance of playing. So we said, let's go down. And um, Tude said, okay, we'll do some boxing. And I was like, okay, well, this is, um, this is my chance. Like he's been going, <laughs> I've had two years, I don't know how long it was, a year, two years. at this stage? Yeah, I was captain, yeah. A year or two of him just annoyingly telling everyone he'd beaten me up. So I'd, you know, I'd try and tell him, you know, you didn't have, I wasn't even allowed to hit you back, you know. Like anyway, so we, it was probably the wrong setup to try. <laughs> Straight, nothing good's going to come about two guys who've had this ongoing thing, and we're going to all of a sudden go and have an unlicensed fight down in the gym at the at the, uh, at the Oval with no adult supervision. <laughs> So, um, or referees, there's just hard floor. It was just, it, it, it could have ended horribly. Anyway, we start boxing and, um, and he's, and, and Tudes can be a little bit flashy. He's, uh, you know, flicking some jabs out and he's a good boxer. He's a good fighter. I mean, there, no one else in the, sorry, changing room was keen to do it. So he, he, you know, and he's a big boy too. So I was a little bit, you know, cautious because he's much bigger and much taller than me and, Anyway, he um, he dropped his hand, and I just threw a right hand over the top. And, and you know, when the plane flew into those buildings, and you saw they're just falling down. He was like, he just started. I was like, he's up there. He just started falling down. I was like, oh no, I've knocked their opening bowler out. <laughs> so um, during it's a um, during a game, yeah. So um, so we picked him up, and we got him. You know, he's. I think he thought he was fine, but he wasn't. Um, but we, we, we got him up to the change room, and then it was like a scene out of a comedy. Feet, then? Yeah, he was. Oh, he was down on the floor. He went. He was down. He got up, and he was still a bit groggy. And anyway, he, he was. I mean, he did well. I mean, he got it together and got back up to the change room, and it was like a scene out of a comedy, mate. The clouds just parted, the sun came out, and the umpires came in and said, 
quiz starting in half an hour. And then they were like, what's wrong with him? He was just sitting over there. <laughs> we're like, and then all the boys were like, ah, captain just knocked him out. <laughs> so, um, but Hughes is like, he's a, he's a good fighter. And um, he, uh, everyone, he, it's, it's an unfortunate story because he gets a lot of flack for it. But none of the other, none of the other guys, I never saw them keen to have a go. So at least he was in there having a go. So uh, good guy, Hughes, good guy. So, so what happened? Did he bowl again in the game? No, we we thankfully just when we were about to go back out, it started raining again. So we um, we never had to to experience that. I'm not sure. Yeah, that wouldn't have been good. <laughs> I don't think that would have passed health and safety these days, mate. No, no. <laughs> so, do you yeah. still train at the moment? Yeah, I'm training pretty hard at the moment. I'm. Um, I've had a, my New Year's resolution, like every other year for the last 20 years, has been to get fit and healthy. Um, and every other year I have not done that. Um, but this year I've actually been pretty disciplined. And um, for, since January the 1st, I've pretty much trained hard. And um, my, my goal for my 50th birthday in September is, is, was to have a six-pack. Um, it was, might have been a bit of a... Um, I reckon I'm on for about two, a two pack, two, I mean, but if you aim for six, yeah, but so there's something, there's something happening there. It's like, I started out with a genuine like stomach. So, uh, I've now got a flat stomach and that out, there's, there's something there. It's like, is that shadow? I'm not sure. It's like, so, um, but you know, you aim for a six pack, you end up with a two pack. It's better than a beer gut. So, um, it's, I'm, I'm feeling great. I'm feeling healthy and. And I think, you know, going back to your mental health, I think that all you know, contributes in a big way. I'm just leading a healthy lifestyle and um, I'm just taking a lot of... I think Joey Benjamin's death had a big impact on me. Um, um, he was 60, he was my flatmate. Um, so when you see guys like that having heart attacks, and you, it gives you, it makes you definitely feel more... Um, you know, you've got to look after yourself for getting old. For sure. And what's next for you then in terms of your work and, and your life? You're coaching cricket as well at the moment with Queensland. Yeah, coach. I'm the batting coach for Queensland. I actually, I went today for my first ever interview in the history. I've never had an interview, so today was my first job interview. So I was going to, um, to interview for my old job back. So... Um, I was kind of excited about it. I'm not sure when you walk into an interview if you're meant to say so proudly, it's my first ever interview. But um, so that uh, I did that. So, um, but I, I'm, you know, I'm up there. I've been with Queensland for three years now, so I'd expect that I'd be in, involved with them in some capacity over the next few years. I'm loving that. I've trained about uh, a bunch of professional and amateur fighters. Um, I do that five nights a week. Single dad with three kids. I've got two companies which are both looking to float on the stock exchange. So, fair to say, I'm pretty busy, mate. So, mm. sounds like you, you maybe don't need another job then. Why are you applying for another job? <laughs> I, well, I, I was like, um, I just love it. I just love it. I just love. Um, so, my two companies, I've, I sort of made the decision that I want to, um, you know, money. You can't take it with you. It's like when you die, it's just gonna it's gonna become dust. And um, 
but memories are they live forever. So I've sort of said I'll try and get people to run those companies and and try and um, and just do the things I really love. And I, I love being involved with sport. That's who does who wouldn't? Uh, it's just it's fantastic, and I just sort of I'm grateful and and remind myself how blessed I am every day that I am involved with it. So um, yeah, that's. That's, that's the goal, mate. And I mean, my number one goal is to bring up good kids. Uh, I think I'm doing a good job so far. So that's my number one job. Um, and then number two is to create some, try and live my life as um, happily and energetically as I can and healthily um, for as long as I can. So, um, and that's and they're pretty simple goals. I mean, I know people talk about one percenters and stuff like that. I don't, want, I don't worry about the one percent. It's just get the big stuff in order. So happiness, my kids, and being healthy. Those things are, are important to me. Amen to that. I'd say. Mm. And in terms of cricket coaching, do you think it could be a bigger part of your life moving forward? Do you, do you think you could be doing more of it? Yeah, possibly. Um, I don't. I, Look, um, I think whenever I've done ever, anything for love, I've always done well at it. Um, it's when I've done things for money or fame or ego, those things never turn out so well. But when I do things because I love, I, I love what I'm doing, then it always ends up well. I always end up doing well. Um, and I always say to people, like, if you're doing it for the money, Where's your motivation going to come from when you get money? Where does your motivation come from then? Where, if you're looking for fame and you become famous, when, where do you find the motivation to go on after that? So you're only going to be able to be motivated for that period of time. But if you're motivated by love, love of what you're doing or love of a person, then that will that goes on infinitely. And, and like I said to you, when I started out on my cricket journey, I just loved competing and I loved... Um, the job I was doing and I didn't know how what I was doing or anything like that but it just took me where it took me because I loved it so um, and that's kind of what I'm trying to do in life now is just follow what I love what I love doing and just just do it and whatever the, my financial if I you know they don't pay me if they pay me just enough just to live then it's okay if I'm loving doing it then everything's good it'll, it'll take me somewhere which I'm not expecting Mate, I think that's a great way to finish. That is, that was a really nice chat. I enjoyed it very much. I'm feeling inspired now. Thanks for that. <laughs> oh, that's good, mate. <laughs> great to talk to you, bud. And you, mate.